Yeah. The Bar Podcast. Uh, Biblical uh, Reform, let's uh, go. Uh, yep. Uh, Welcome to the bar. Come on and pull up a seat. And open up your Bible. What a wonderful feast. The living bread. And we're discussing what it means for the streets. The inner cities and the burbs and every person we meet. This where we challenge worldviews that we hear from world news. In light of the scripture, yeah, we are here to serve you. We're your source for resources to help you on your way as you battle mean forces. Yo, this is for the people who can see the importance of sound theology and the scripture that support it. Yeah, this is for the truth lovers, biblically reforming, preaching Christ to the nations. Yeah. The nations. Welcome to the modern reformation. Yeah. Welcome everybody to the bar and no need to adjust your speakers. This is the bar podcast that you know and love, but you may have heard the announcement the other week. We have a new guest host and I am him. My name's David Knight. You may recognize my Cockney accent from Exposit the Word. And I am the new guest host keeping Dwayne's chair warm until he's able to get back. Apart from the accent, nothing else will change. We will still have the same awesome guests. And Lord willing, we will publish a new show every single Tuesday. So... Without further ado, because I am super excited to be coming through your speakers or your earbuds, wherever you are listening to the bar. And as always, we are grateful that you are listening. And we love to start the show off by thanking you, the listeners, for tuning in and supporting the show. And like we do every Tuesday, we bring you another awesome guest and today we have got a good one. Hello and welcome Professor and author Mitch Chase. Hey, David. I'm so glad to be back with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we only spoke a few months back, didn't we, on Exposit the Words. And at the time, we was talking about your latest book at the time, Resurrection. And now you've got this new book, Hope for All the Earth, which is a book to help people understand the story of the Old Testament. Mitch, you're working very hard in getting these books out. <laughs> you know, I'm very blessed to be able to to write stuff that's on my heart and to serve the church. And uh, for sure, this is a book that just came out, and I do hope it'll help people love the Old Testament. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Really, really good book. I'm looking forward to talking to you about it as well, Mitch. Um, <laughs> before we do that, bring us up to speed. Feel free to introduce yourself and tell us everything we need to know about Mitchell L. Chase. <laughs> Okay, well, so I live in Louisville, Kentucky, and our family's been here for uh, the last uh, 12 years. I serve uh, as a preaching pastor at a local church, and it's called Cosmos Dale Baptist Church. I've been at this church now for almost 11 years, which has been a, such a wonderful and blessed uh, season of ministry. I am a Associate Professor of Biblical Studies at uh, the school I love uh, to serve at Boyce College and Southern Seminary and uh, to be able to teach students and prepare people as ministers of the gospel. Uh, so that's uh, what our life looks like. My wife and I, uh, Stacy and I have uh, four boys, and uh, that means our life is very full, uh, very uh, busy and uh, very exciting. Uh, so there's <laughs> yeah. there's never a dull moment uh, from sunup to sundown with those four boys. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Four, <laughs> four 14, 11, 10, and 5. And uh, so we're, we're very uh, happy trucking along in Louisville, uh, seeking to be faithful to what the Lord's given us responsibility for. And you've got your own five-a-side football team, Mitch, as well, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so take us back to the beginning, Mitch. When did you first become a Christian? 
You know, I grew up in a in a church and family that uh, wanted to point us to the gospel and grow up in a Southern Baptist church in South Texas. And so I, I grew up hearing the things of the gospel and uh, professed faith in Christ and was baptized uh, when I was eight. And I was continually uh, in and around uh, the church and learning about the scriptures in the years that followed. And so I was very blessed uh, to have an upbringing around the things of the gospel. And um, I, I know that that's not everybody's background. And uh, the Lord was very kind in uh, giving me that kind of environment. Yeah, yeah. Your new book is all about the Old Testament, and it can be an intimidating study for some Christians, can't it, Mitch? Why do you think that is? The Old Testament is a gargantuan piece of the Bible, isn't it? I mean, we're dealing with three quarters of the Bible with these 39 Old Testament books. Um, I think the intimidation factors really several fold. Uh, the sheer size of the Old Testament is a factor, but I think the ancient nature of the geography, the many historical empires, this kind of stuff uh, requires some investment on the part of the reader with uh, growing awareness of some history, some awareness of ancient customs. And um, that that is intimidating to try to start chipping away at as a as a, a novice of the scriptures, an earlier initial reader of the Bible. Uh, the Old Testament takes more time. Those are some of the factors uh, that play into it. We also might be able to think, well, the New Testament is the that's the stories of Jesus, right? The Gospels are there and the teachings of Jesus and the early church and the Old Testament is still preparing the way for those things. And uh, and so sometimes maybe a reader thinks, well, the New Testament is where Jesus is at. And, and then they think, well, then the Old Testament, maybe it's, is it somehow inferior to or irrelevant to, you know, my my Christian life and concerns? And of course, that would be a, a wrong conclusion to draw. But uh, there, those are some of the reasons the Old Testament um, might be might be a, a source of, uh, of intimidation for readers. And we understand that that's the case. Yeah. Your new book helpfully starts out with creation followed by the fall. But what do we know about what happened prior to man's fall for the serpent to have been in the garden and with the ability to tempt and deceive Adam and Eve in the first place? Readers do think about this when they read uh, Genesis 1 through 3. You know, suddenly in Genesis 3, there is this tempting serpent figure. You know, what's going on? And and I, I, I know that uh, it involves some speculation on our part, but I think it's reasonable to imply that some prior rebellion has happened with this serpent and that um, mankind is encountering in the garden uh, the one who will be the adversary of God's people from the beginning to the end. The reason and I think we could conclude that much about that figure in Genesis 3 is because uh, later scripture portrays Satan as the tempter of God's people, the adversary of God's people. And in Revelation chapter 12 and in Revelation chapter 20, uh, the adversary of God's people is actually called the one who is the ancient serpent and dragon. Um, using that later scripture, I think we are on full confident grounds to say in Genesis 3, here has been the rebel against the Lord who has now come to deceive and undermine God's purposes for uh, his image bearers. And, uh, and so those are some reasonable speculations about what must have gone on prior to the garden. Yeah, yeah, it's helpful. Um, through the worldwide flood, we see God's judgment come against a wicked world whilst choosing to save a few people by grace. What do we learn through this event then about the judgment to come, Mitch? Yeah, so you're you're able to, uh, with your question, track 
along the narrative of Genesis as we move from Eden to life outside Eden. And as life outside Eden unfolds, image bearers are fruitful and multiply, and they are sinners. So these are multiplying sinners all over the earth. And um, in Genesis uh, chapter 6, we are reading about uh, the plenitude of uh, these sinners, their thoughts and deeds of evil, and God's righteous judgment. Um, I, I think what Genesis 6 begins to show us is that, or not begins, but continues to show us, is that God is righteous and holy and sin deserves judgment. The uh, event of the ark is a show of God's saving grace and mercy upon Noah and his family, but it also demonstrates the righteousness of God in holding sinners to account. The flood is a kind of reckoning. It is a kind of historical judgment, a reckoning uh, of sinners before the God who is holy, 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 uh, as the seraphim say. Now, that flood, uh, while there's only one flood like that in the Old Testament, it still is part of a larger pattern of historical judgments against sinners, not to that same scope that follow historically, but there are still groups and uh, and individuals who face the judgment of God for their sin. The ark and the judgment of the flood is part of a pattern of God's uh, reckoning of uh, of his righteousness against sin and points forward to an end time final judgment, a day of the Lord, capital D, day of the Lord, that the New Testament and the Old Testament prophesy. I look at these judgments, David, as as like historical forward-pointing signs. Sinners can see God's activity in time and space against these uh, sinners, the story of the flood being the one you, your question is about. And we should realize what would be in store at the end of all things when the wicked um, have not had all of their wickedness brought to account, when not all injustice has been answered. Well, earlier historical judgments point forward to a day of the Lord when a final reckoning of sin will take place in the righteousness of our judge. And um, and I think the ark story fits in that larger storyline of Scripture that promises the wicked will be judged by the righteousness of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bible uses a lot of typology, doesn't it? What is this, Mitch? Well, the ark uh, is an example of this, where God is delivering his people as well as judging the wicked outside the ark. And reading something typologically in the Old Testament, it's an effort to say that this earlier event or character, uh, this institution or office, had a design by God to point forward. So there is a, a corresponding element to this. Something earlier connects with something later, but it's not just historical correspondences. There's some kind of escalation, something that's earlier that points forward to a greater or more supreme um, uh, installment or, or even fulfillment of something. If you think about typology with regard to Christ, one way Old Testament readers throughout the centuries have talked about this is that Christ is 
typified in the Old Testament. There are types or patterns of things so that the deliverance of the uh, through the ark is a type of God's coming merciful deliverance through Christ, who is the refuge for sinners. And all sinners in Christ will be delivered and all outside Christ will face judgment. Uh, so the ark story, like other patterns and events, has a, a sign to it. You know, it's pointing forward to what God would do in Jesus. Um, it's common for people to talk about Moses being a type of Christ or David's life having elements that point forward to Jesus or his son Solomon, the son of David, having elements of his life that point forward to the greater son of David. Not only people, though, uh, we look at, um, you know, John chapter three, where Jesus talks about the bronze serpent in the wilderness from Numbers 21. And Jesus talks about how just as that serpent was raised up and everyone that looked to that serpent was delivered from death, so the son of man will be lifted up and that everyone who believes in him will live forever. These Old Testament deliverances and signals are helping us read the larger story of the Bible, which is anticipating the Messiah. And in the goodness of God and in his wisdom, he has embedded types and patterns of Christ in the Old Testament so that we might discern how the whole Bible is about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, really good, really helpful stuff. Thank you, Mitch. <laughs> A crucial figure in the Old Testament is Abraham. Tell us about him and why the covenant given to him is so important for the Christian faith. In Genesis 1 through 11, we read these large canvas stories that are happening. Uh, mankind is fruitful and multiplying. The flood destroys everyone outside the ark. There's the Tower of Babel and the scattering of nations in Genesis 11. Um, in Genesis 12, there's a a zeroing in, in a very focused way. And the rest of Genesis doesn't occur on such wide a canvas as these earlier 11 chapters. Genesis 12 begins to focus on, on one man's family. And, uh, and I think the way to read the Abraham story is that the Abraham stories are the answer to the previous 11 chapters of sin and corruption and death and curse. Uh, Genesis 12 is God's promises to Abraham, multiple pro uh, promises to Abraham, that through this man, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that use of the word blessing matters because we've seen examples of death and curse in the earlier chapters. So God is going to bring about the remedy to sin and death. And that means the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. Um, these are all forward pointing elements like the rest of the typological patterns of the Old Testament that are going to be fulfilled in Jesus, who is the son of Abraham the descendant or seed of Abraham. And through Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So when we read Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul is interpreting Abraham's story. And Paul interprets the seed or offspring of Abraham to be singular, ultimately, and that the seed of Abraham is about Jesus. When Matthew opens the gospel, he says that this is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These writers, whether it's a gospel writer or an apostle like Paul, they're trying to help us see that the purpose of the Abraham stories, he's used by the Lord in Genesis to be part of the larger answer 
to the sin and death dilemma that we face. And uh, and so, yeah, Abraham plays a huge role in the life of Israel's people because he's the their father of faith. He's the one who is a covenant bearer in Genesis 15. And those covenant promises are passed from Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to the 12 sons, the Israelites. But in the larger storyline of scripture, the purpose of Abraham's family is that through him, the Lord Jesus would come to bring the answer and remedy to the curse of sin and death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today we see two different interpretations when it comes to God's future plan with Israel, don't we? Uh, Tell us about these two different views and where do they both come through from Scripture? We've got dispensationalism and covenant theology. Yes, these are... These are huge subjects. You know, an entire podcast could be just devoted to yeah. this question, right? So yeah, yeah. I do I, would, I do want to be, you know, brief for our sake of time, but you're right that these are major viewpoints that get at trying to interpret and put the Bible together. And covenant theology is going to do a lot of what I've tried to unpack with, with Abraham and Noah before that, trying to look at the progressive connections across the storyline of scripture and through the biblical covenants covenant theology is going to read god's plan in continuity across the old testament storyline and uh, that's an important piece a core idea within covenant theology not all covenant theologians make all the same conclusions about every single Old Testament passage. But those are broad agreements. You know, it's hard to you. you I don't want to um, just broad brush uh, a, a subject and, and speak unhelpfully. But that is, I think, something that could be agreed upon by those covenant interpreters. Now, if you're if you're approaching things from a dispensational side, dispensationalism views things in eras or dispensations or chunks of time, and that um, the promise is given to Abraham and to his seed, there's an ethnic emphasis to this um, that is not granted a kind of continuity across uh, time and across covenants and in continuity with the, the new covenant remnant of the saints of the Lord Jesus as the church. There's a real Uh, compartmentalization with the promises given to Abraham as belonging to that ethnic people and that were given at that particular time in Old Testament history and that pertain to the ethnic um, examples and um, and manifestation of God's um, Israelite people today. And and so there's a hesitancy. There's a hesitancy to make observations of continuity across the covenants. There's a plan for Israel in the classic dispensational sense, you know, and then there's a plan for the church. Now, it is true that even within dispensationalism, there has been development and there are dispensationalists who are more progressive that would not see any longer the classic division between the two peoples of God. But what we're what we're recognizing in the history of interpretation uh, in hermeneutics, we deal with having to approach the Old Testament. And how do we approach the Old Testament? Well, I think a covenantal approach to the Old Testament is a sounder approach. I think it makes more sense with the way the New Testament reads the Old as well. And that when we approach things, um, keeping an eye for the progressive unfolding plan of God from Genesis forward, we will realize that God is fulfilling his plan for his Israelite people in the Old Testament in continuity with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who consists of Jew-Gentile believers in Jesus. And um, and therefore, the emphasis on continuity strikes me uh, and has for a long time as the better approach to read the Old Testament. 
Yeah, yeah, really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Talk us through how the Lord used Moses. Moses is a major figure in the Pentateuch, isn't he? So Moses arrives in Exodus, and the shadow of Moses continues through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in the life of Moses during those years, you know, we we find Moses is born in Exodus. He dies in Deuteronomy at 120 years old. And, and so the events from, from Exodus 2 with Moses' birth through Deuteronomy 34 is 120 years. Okay, that's a lot of scripture for right, just 120 right. years. Sometimes a single chapter in the book of Genesis may jump many, many decades. And so you've got a lot of scripture unfolding from Exodus 2 to Deuteronomy 34 uh, for just 120 years. But um, in that time, Moses is a delivering figure. God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, out of bondage, through Moses's leadership. And then this Moses leads Israel from age 80 to age 120, those last 40 years of his life. He leads them toward the promised land through years of wandering, years of judgment as people die in the wilderness. And uh, and at last, uh, Moses will die and Joshua, his successor, will lead the Israelites in. Moses um, is part of the Israelite years where they construct the tabernacle, So Moses's instructions to the Israelites will be about building this portable dwelling place. And uh, therefore, Moses's years see the uh, construction of that very important artifact, uh, as well as the construction of various vessels and holy vessels that are going to go in that place. Uh, Moses provides the commandments of the law, not just the Ten Commandments on stone, but the uh, remainder of the Exodus laws, the Levitical regulations and instructions. And um, we're told in Numbers chapter 33 that he recorded uh, the journey from Egypt to the plains of Moab along the way. And so there is a documenting role that Moses has to compose and write, not just the words of Yahweh from Sinai, but the ongoing encounters with God at the tabernacle and the very logistical uh, points of uh, their journeying from uh, Egypt to the promised land. Moses's role for Israel is going to to be f- far exceeding even the very years of his life. The Israelites look back to Moses throughout the rest of the Old Testament, to the books of Moses, the law of Moses, and they see uh, the important covenant that God formed with Moses and the Israelites at Sinai. So the arrival of that figure, David, um, the arrival of that figure in Exodus is uh, is going to prove so impactful for the remainder of the Old Testament. They will be a people who are descendant of Abraham, but in covenant um, with the Mosaic or Sinai covenant that was formed during that man's years. And uh, and so we, can, we can't underestimate uh, the um, importance of Moses. It would be hard to overstate how major a role he plays. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. How should Christians today view the law given in the Old Testament? And what are some ditches that people fall into? Hmm. Well, if we talk about Moses and we talk about the law, then we have to talk about, well, how should we think about this as Christians? Because uh, we want to value all of the Old Testament, but we recognize as believers, uh, we're not performing all of the Old Testament regulations. We, we are we are not a people under the law of Moses. That's clear in uh, the New Testament. Well, I, I would want to emphasize how the Old Testament gives moral commands, moral imperatives that are codified in the law of Moses. 
Moses, but do not originate in the law of Moses. The moral laws of how to live before God with uh, proper worship and proper treatment of neighbor, love of God and love of neighbor, these are things rooted in who God himself is. So that the very character of God, which precedes the Sinai covenant, helps us see how in the New Testament, the laws and instructions morally uh, that we see in the law, they continue to abide as relevant for the Christian because these are not things limited to the Sinai covenant. They actually reflect the God of all covenants. They reflect the God of the believer. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as Moses. Um, Now, we also have to pay attention in the New Testament to how certain things are fulfilled in the law. We're taught that the Lord Jesus has brought an end to the shadows of Israel's calendar years and sacrifices and pilgrimages so that the new covenant saint remembers what Christ has done in finishing the sacrificial system. We're not trying to practice sacrificial ceremonial things like under the law of Moses. It would be to try to rewind the clock, and we don't want to do that. We are at a certain spot in redemptive history, and that means something for these earlier regulations. So in those ways, as believers, we have to think through what laws reflect the character of God, what morally abides into the new covenant, and what is it that we see in the New Testament has brought an end to certain elements of the law? It's dietary regulations. It's ceremonial and sacrificial instructions. We see fulfillment now, don't we? We see fulfillment because Christ has brought an end to the those um, laws to those times of the shadows. In Colossians, uh, Paul says in Colossians 2, that um, those other things belong to the shadows and Christ is the substance. And therefore, what those earlier things pointed to has now been fulfilled in the Son of God. We are living in the time of fulfillment, and we should celebrate that, rejoice in that, and remember the faithfulness of God who has promised uh, to complete all of what preceded. And in his Son, he has declared it is finished. Yeah, yeah, really good stuff. After decades of being outside of a promised land, Joshua, wasn't he, was commanded by the Lord to go and take the land. How successful was he in doing so? And what can we learn in terms of application from what took place? The book of Joshua tells us of the completion of the conquest in a sense. So they go throughout the land, allotments are provided, the Israelite tribes settle, but there are lines in Joshua that are also repeated in the book of Judges, that not all the Canaanites had been conquered and driven out. And I take that to mean, especially the militant ones, those that would have been engaged in idolatry, those that would have been resistant to Yahweh worship. And the Lord warned in in, in the books of uh, the Pentateuch what this could mean for the Israelites if they didn't drive out all of the false worship and the hostile Canaanites from the land. The book of Judges, I think, reports for us what God had warned about that is then fulfilled. And that is that they are tempted to become like the nations. They're tempted to take on the gods of the nations and the practices and customs of the nations, and that this would compromise their identity. If they're meant to be the light to the nations and to show true worship of Yahweh and to live out love of God and love of neighbor, then the abiding presence of false worship and idol shrines and militant Canaanites, this this puts into threat 
the right worship of God and love of neighbor. Um, we see that God was not bluffing. You know, when he warns in the Pentateuch that their lives are, are uh, their spiritual well-being is at stake, the book of Judges and the books of Samuel and Kings, you know, there's just a chronicling of Israel's history that shows God knows what he's talking about. Um, when he warns us, he warns us for good reason. And if we ignore the commands of God, we do so to our peril. Even those principles that I just stated as summary, they apply to our Christian lives. When God has warned us to weed out sin in our lives and to turn from wickedness, we should remember that in the life of Israel and in their history, the warnings of God are to be taken seriously. And that when we tolerate iniquity in our lives and we try to justify the presence of rebellion in this area or that area, it is not going to go well with us. We will reap what we have sown. And uh, we should instead believe the warnings of God, take our sanctification life seriously, and mortify the desires of the flesh and walk by the fruit of this walk in the fruit of the spirit, so that we might honor the Lord and put to death the deeds of the flesh that belong to our old life. You know, the danger of the Israelites in Joshua and in Judges is that they came out of bondage to Egypt, taken into now being brought into this promised land. But what sort of people are they going to be in this new life they've been called to live? Well, there's too much of their old life that belongs to them. There's too much that even on their journey to the promised land that would woo them and draw their attention back to Egypt. They kept saying multiple times, maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Um, there's a danger as professing Christians that we might have the thought that crosses our mind, you know, maybe living without Christ is better. Maybe before I became a believer, before my conversion, maybe that's when my life was best and I could do what I want. There's always some pull that I think we need to be aware of. The uh, the yeah. ease with which the serpent's lies can enter our mind and make Egypt seem better. When, of course, in the books of Joshua and Judges, we know that e Egypt is not better and that living to do what is right in our own eyes is not better either. It leads to disaster. I think one of the reasons that uh, these historical stories are preserved for us is like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. These stories are examples for us. They are for us on whom the end of the ages has come. So we can read those earlier stories and we can be exhorted to lives of faithfulness and warned about idolatry. The Lord's judgments are real and yeah. his holiness and righteousness are not to be taken lightly. Yeah, so true. So helpful as well. Thank you, Mitch. The Bible goes out of its way to give us a waltz and all insight into all of the biblical heroes to help us avoid idolizing mm. any of its people. Why is it important we keep this in mind even today when we have we may have our favorite Bible teachers online? Yeah, this is, you know, when we look at um, Abraham and Moses that we talked a lot about earlier, Abraham and Moses are not perfect men. Even, even the scriptures are willing to show us all the sides of these men. These people who could anger the Lord, who needed to be delivered from their own foolishness at times. And, um, you know, Abraham and Moses, like all the saints that have followed and like all the people today that the Lord uses, we are but men. We are but human beings. So all men and women used of the Lord for his glory are people who have been needful of his own saving grace. If we, if we can keep in mind 
that uh, people are to be respected and appreciated without being worshipped, then we might be able to avoid the putting people on high pedestals and the celebrityism that has poisoned so much of evangelicalism uh, because we are meant to exalt the name of Jesus above all things. And we are not to live for our own name. And um, in our world right now, there's so much access that we can have to the lives of people, uh, to all that we can learn about people around the world that's uh, not normal in the larger historical church. You know, social media and the Internet um, is, uh, is certainly at the core of why this is possible. And yet with the arrival of all of this technology, I think there's been an increase in the danger that can come from it. Um, we we should, I think, appreciate and give uh, thanks to God for uh, the men and women in our lives who have been used by God to help us to be sources of wisdom and instruction. And yet we need to recognize um, in Christ alone are we accepted and fully known and loved. And um, when we seek to uh, get into the inner ring, as C.S. Lewis would describe it, by trying to um, live for the approval of others or to win the, the invitation of certain circles of friends, um, we, are, we are on a path, perhaps, that is filled with dangerous snares and, um, and tribalistic tendencies. I instead, um, we should take our warnings and cues from the scriptures themselves and live for the glory of God and seek to love others as best and as faithfully as we can for the honor of God and and leave the results to the Lord. And um, we we will not be surprised then at the sins of others when we hold people on a high pedestal and in Egypt, hero worship, so to speak. Man, our lives can be really devastated when we when we see people fall, when we see people we've respected, people whose books we've learned from or whatever, and and who make a wreck of their lives. And we can be sobered afresh that yes, indeed, these are but human beings, mortals and not gods, um, people who are susceptible to sins. So it should it should warn us and sober us, I think. This book, Hopeful, the Earth, is an excellent bird's eye guide through the Old Testament. Everyone would benefit from reading this, but it would also become mandatory going forward that every new believer should uh, read <laughs> one of these as well, right, Mitch? <laughs> Do you plan on writing a similar guide through the New Testament? I do appreciate your words there about the book, and I do hope folks will find it helpful. And I, I have been asked about the New Te a New Testament companion. Um, and so I am uh, writing one that's going to be a Brilliant. New Testament uh, supplement, and it's going to be of similar size and purpose. You know, this book is not a survey of every book of the Old Testament. It's a focus on the storyline. And, um, and so my goal was not to provide, you know, an Old Testament survey like some books are that give background and date information about every book from Genesis to Malachi. There are good Old Testament surveys that do that. But um, but I, what I saw that I would have benefited from many years ago as well is what I wanted to provide now for readers. And that is a concise summary of what the storyline of the Old Testament is. And we will benefit from uh, thinking about the New Testament that way. There are good New Testament surveys that take you from Matthew to Revelation book by book. But I'm aiming to write uh, what I did for the Old Testament uh, for the New. And that is uh, to explore the New Testament storyline where the Old Testament leaves us off after that then 400 years of silence and the bursting of New yeah. Testament fulfillment. So I'm excited about that. Pray for me in that endeavor. And uh, I look forward to that being released sometime uh, in the future. 
Yeah, well, we'll look forward to that as well, Mitch. Brilliant stuff. We're going to take a real quick break before coming back and then hitting you with the famous free signature bar questions. I hope you're ready for this, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're back with Professor and author Mitch Chase. And Mitch, as you know, every single guest that comes onto the bar gets asked these three very important questions known as the bar signature questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. So what kind of music do you listen to? Well, you know, our family, we're, there's six of us in our house, and we listen to a lot of music. We listen to a, a wide array of music. And uh, in terms of uh, worship and hymn music, our family's been enjoying um, City of Light. City of Light uh, has some newer music that's come out in previous months that's been a huge blessing to us. Um, now, our our um, upbringing, you know, my wife and I enjoy old country music as well. And so, yeah, you know, yeah. if somebody put on some old George Strait music or old Garth Brooks music, uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, we enjoy uh, songs from uh, Imagine Dragons. Whenever one of theirs is released, uh, our family will enjoy learning that. So I think that what's been fun um, with my children is being able to introduce them to music that's not new to me, but maybe old stuff that's got a, yeah, a great yeah. history to it. And it's been fun to introduce them to that and uh, being able to learn new songs along with them. It's been a blast uh, trying to prioritize a whole array of music as a family. Uh, we we like to be a singing crew for sure. <laughs> yeah. And are you a musical family? Do you guys play any instruments? You know, my son and I, uh, my my uh, 11 year old and I are learning the guitar right now. And uh, yeah, right, I've, right. I've, I've played the piano since I was in junior high. And so we, we are trying to incorporate uh, some more musical instruments. And um, I hope that that'll take root for my boys because I, I know the the fun that can ha- be had from that. Yeah. It's just a lot of work, you know, trying to, to, to <laughs> produce music, trying to learn instruments and, and to play it. Not an easy go, but you can devote the time to it. It's a blessing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Brilliant. Good stuff. Well, the next signature bar question is what book or books are you currently reading? Yeah. So I just got a, a book in the mail I'm starting called Come and See by Jonathan Pennington. Uh, he's a colleague and faculty member at Southern Seminary. And Dr. Pennington's new book is uh, is uh, taking this journey of, uh, of uh, uh, readers through scriptures, story and transformation point, uh, the whole agenda of the Bible to form us and to shape us. It's a journey through knowing of knowing God through his word. And uh, I'm excited to be starting that uh, as well. So that's Come and See by uh, Jonathan Pennington. And uh, I've been enjoying a book called um, Reading 
uh, Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus, I think is the correct title of it. And it's by several authors, including Seth Postel, and it's about the Torah. So Reading Moses and Seeing Jesus is an exploration of how to read the Pentateuch and uh, to see the purpose of the Pentateuch in pointing forward to Christ. That's been really insightful as well. So those yeah, are a couple yeah. books, one I'm finishing up and then one I'm uh, getting ready uh, to uh, be reading through, which is come and see. So the, thanks for asking that. Those are uh, those are proving to be uh, a great joy. Great, great stuff. Good. And then the last signature bar question, what podcast or sermons do you listen to, if any? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple podcasts I listen the most to. Um, I love the London Lyceum. Uh, the London Lyceum has a score of uh, brilliant episodes and guests that are always varied about all sorts of different biblical, theological, and historical topics. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed at the array of stuff that they have. And I have a couple friends of mine named Jim Hamilton and Sam Amati who have a podcast I love called Bible Talk, and it's a Nine Marks Ministries podcast. And Bible Talk is right now taking readers, uh, listeners rather, through the Bible as they talk about its various uh, chapters and swaths of text. And right now, uh, Hamilton and Imadi have been able to take readers from Genesis into the book of Judges over the previous seasons of the podcast. So they are uh, engaged in quite a large work, which is uh, tremendous. They plan to work through the whole whole Bible. And, um, yeah. and I, I love listening to them talk about the text and uh, to approach it in their biblical theology lens that they do. It, it's always encouraging. So those are probably a couple that I listen to the most. Brilliant. I think you broke up just as you were saying, exposit the word there, Mitch, as well, right? I think the, I think the line yeah, just that's froze. Right. Exposit <laughs> the word. That's right. Without That goes without question. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch, before we let you go, we always give our guests a chance to close the show. So the mm. floor is yours for you to share your closing thoughts and to let people know how and where they can keep in touch with you on social media. Well, it's been great to be with you again, David, to talk about this book. What's been on my heart for so many years in pastoral ministry is to help people understand the Bible and especially the Old Testament. And uh, so I, I hope people will get a copy of Hope for All the Earth. I've, he I've heard from churches and Sunday school classes and classrooms uh, that have utilized this book in different ways because it's got uh, reflection, thoughts and questions. And I want people to be able to um, really grasp the fullness of the storyline and uh, and so I hope that this will bless your readers. I, I in terms of following uh, me elsewhere, I'm on Twitter a lot at, at Mitchell Chase. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. I have a Substack uh, called Biblical Theology uh, that I started a few uh, a few months ago at the beginning of 2023. And so if people wanted to follow my Substack, it's MitchChase.substack.com, uh, and and this Substack um, has articles dealing with various subjects in biblical theology. And uh, I've been thrilled to be able to see that particular uh, effort grow. And I hope the Lord will bless that. So those are a couple ways you could find me and um, to receive some of the work that I've been doing. Um, there's a book that's being released from Crossway in the very near future that I've uh, completed, and it's called um, Short of Glory, A Biblical and Theological Exploration of the Fall. And so that, that'll be uh, released um, in, the, in the weeks ahead. So I hope readers can check out those things. It's a blessing to write and, and speak for the Church of Christ and uh, to be able to seek to encourage readers in the Bible. And uh, so I hope the Lord will continue giving me opportunities to do that. Brilliant. Well, what we'll do is we'll make sure that we find the links for all of those things that you've just said. So wherever Thank you're you, listening David. or watching this podcast, make sure that you check those out. Meech, as always, so good to catch up with you. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, David. It's great to be with you.
And to the bar listeners, thank you again for tuning in. And make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you can get the show every single Tuesday. And just like today, we have some top, top guests coming up that you do not want to miss out on. And remember to check out the Bar Podcast website where you can listen to Dwayne's huge archive of interviews, which will keep you nice and busy. Until next time, to laugh for now. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.